I'm reading tonight from the 11th chapter of John's Gospel. And I'm reading two verses. Verse number 6 and verse number 17. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then in verse 17, the Bible says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. You'll notice both of those verses have a time element in them. He abode two days, Jesus did, in the same place where he was. And when he did get to Bethany, Lazarus had been in the grave four days already. I've been studying some of the mysterious ministries of Jesus. God's ways are not our ways. In fact, the way up with God is the way down, the way of humility. And uh, often, God crosses us with trouble that He might progress us and advance us. His ways seem mysterious in, in many ways. Tonight, I want to use these two verses as the basis for a message on the mysterious ministry of delay. There are times when the Lord Jesus does not come through when we expect Him to come through. There are times that He does not move according to our timetable and our expectation. Seems as though he delays. In the prophecy of Isaiah, the Lord said that he waits to be gracious. Sometimes we wait because we don't know anything else to do. But God waits for a purpose. For a reason. To be gracious. And so that's my theme tonight. The ministry of delay. Of course, you're, you're not uh, unfamiliar with delay, are you? Uh, it doesn't take long. Uh, if you're in and out of this area, or especially if you live here, you know what it's like to have traffic delays. And I, I never would have dreamed that I would plan my trips through Atlanta at certain times of the day. But I've learned there will be traffic delays at certain times. Of course, you go to a doctor and you wait and wait and wait. You sit out in the outer room for a long time. Then they encourage you and call your name and you go into the inner room. But then you wait and wait and wait in there as well. And sometimes it's that way at the dentist office. Uh, we live in a, in a town known for trains. In the past, 
before they built the little overpass around. You'd just have to wait. And you would park, put your car in park, turn off the ignition and sit there, sit there, sit there. Being at the top of the mountain, they were checking the brakes, making sure everything was ready before they went down the mountain. And coming up the mountain, they would park the train, so to speak, and go back down and get another engine and push the train on uh, towards the next town. Uh, took more than one engine to pull it up the mountain. And so uh, we're all familiar with this thing of waiting. Hey, you even have to wait now at fast food so-called restaurants. And often, please forgive me for sounding sarcastic, but often, after I've waited and waited and then get what I've ordered, I open it up to find out it wasn't what I ordered. And so I'm going to have to go through it again or go inside and look upset, you know, and talk mean. We're familiar with this thing of waiting. But somehow we have problems when it comes to waiting on God. We think God ought to hurry up and do it. Do it, Lord, and do it now. Answer my prayer, and, and Lord, hurry up and do it. But God works according to a heavenly time schedule. And often He Im implements the ministry of delay. Now why does God wait? Why does God seemingly put us on hold? Why does God not go ahead and do things when we think that He ought to do them? Why did Jesus wait Two days when the cry had come, the desperate cry had come for his attention. Why did he wait? And when he got there, Lazarus was already in the grave for four days. Why didn't he go ahead and get uh, come to the aid of that family? I want to mention three reasons the Lord Jesus may bring delays into our lives. First of all, using the first 16 verses of this chapter, I want to mention Jesus delays to exhibit His love. Somebody said, oh, that's, that's not even reasonable. Oh, yes it is. You, you refuse to buy that three-year-old a big 24-inch bicycle? Not because you despise the child, but because you love him. You know he couldn't handle it. He's going to have to wait while he grows up. And so even in waiting, uh, in our children's, with our children's desires, it's because of our love. And here in these early verses, several things are said that call attention to Christ's love. Look particularly at verse number 3. The girls, Lazarus' sisters, did not appeal to Jesus on the basis of Lazarus' love for Jesus, but they appealed to Jesus on the basis of Jesus' love for Lazarus. And they said in verse number 
3, they sent word to him, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. I would call this the approachableness of his love. He may not do it when you think he ought to do it, but he doesn't bar you from his presence. He does not resist your request. He, he does not turn a deaf ear uh, to your petition. No, He puts us on hold as it were, or delays to exhibit the approachableness of His love. By the way, you may want to approach Him and appeal to Him the way Mary and Martha did. Let's say someone in your life, you're burdened for them. Instead of saying, Lord, we love you and, and we want to see you doing something for them, appealing to Him for your love, with your love, why don't you appeal to Him uh, in His love or with His love? Lord, You've loved us. Oh, that You might show Your love to them. Something about using His love as a foundation is a good prayer principle. And uh, then notice not only the approachableness of His love is seen in these first verses. By the way, verse 5 reads, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There's His love mentioned again. Verses 6 and 7 shows us the attitude of His love. When He had heard therefore that He was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. It wasn't that he wasn't going to Bethany. It wasn't that he refused to come into this scene of dire need and hurt and pain. But he has chosen to do what's best. In fact, in verse 3, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He may not meet their need immediately, but He will meet a greater need later. Instead of just healing Lazarus from a sickness, He's going to raise him from the dead. And God is going to be glorified because Jesus has the best in mind. And that shows the attitude of His love. Somebody say, well, Tom, I don't know why all this has happened. I don't know why I've had to be put on hold. And I don't know why God doesn't go ahead and answer my prayer. His attitude is that you get the best out of this. And so He... Delays to exhibit His love. Let me mention one other emphasis. Uh, beginning in verse 8 and going on down through verse 16. We have Jesus and His disciples talking about His recent journey to Judea. They had stoned Him. Uh, they they uh, of late sought to stone Him. The disciples said in verse 8. And then in verse number 11 He said to them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go 
that I may awake him out of sleep. Then you remember they didn't understand what he was saying. They said, well, we've been pushed so much lately. If he's getting a nap, let him alone. So be it. If he's, if he's resting, Jesus said in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Uh, he said, I, I'm glad this has worked out this way because now you're going to believe me like you never have believed. Oh, they believed it. But he's going to make believing believers out of it when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I say to you tonight, beloved, he exhibits the approachableness of his love while he waits. And he exhibits the attitude of his love while he waits. And he exhibits the authoritativeness of his love. He may not get there when Mary and Martha think he ought to be there. But he said, I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to raise him up from the dead. His authority is set forth. And so, Jesus delays, firstly, to exhibit His love. Now, the enemy will suggest to you, if the Lord cared for you, He'd go ahead and do something. See there? The Lord's not interested in you. He's not going to hear your prayers. And the enemy will prey upon our doubts. And boy, he will... Uh, he will go to town on any little loophole he gets. But I want to tell you, don't listen to that liar. Listen to the Lord Jesus. And he says this is for the glory of God. And I'm glad for your sakes, he said, that uh, I wasn't, I didn't go earlier. But I'm going to perform this greater work and you'll believe. Notice in verse 17 uh, and on down Actually, to verse number 43 when he called Lazarus from the grave. We have a second reason the Lord Jesus performs the ministry of delay. He not only delays to exhibit his love, but secondly, Jesus delays to exalt his lordship. Now... Forgive me if I state this too many times in this next emphasis. But I want to remind you that Jesus is Lord. He, he's in charge of everything. Now, this doesn't mean that He won't hear our petitions and our pleas. But He works according to His own time. And, and He does it as He pleases. He's the Lord. He's the one in charge. Don't get worried about so and so or this one over here that says something. They're not in charge. The Lord Jesus is in charge. He's Lord over all. I got to tell you this years ago when my wife and our younger daughters were traveling with me, we came through St. Louis, Missouri, and I saw a sign in St. Louis like a billboard sign that said, Jesus is Lord over St. Louis. <clears throat> Being a young preacher, I, I just couldn't swallow it. I just couldn't accept it. And I thought in my mind, now what dodo 
would put that up when there's as many rebels against God in St. Louis and there's so many people that's bent on going their way and not His way. Who would put such a sign up like that Jesus is Lord over St. Louis? But after preaching the Bible now uh, and traveling for, I'm in my 35th year as an evangelist, I'd like to say without any hesitancy, Jesus is Lord over St. Louis. He's Lord whether everybody knows it or not. Let me say about your area. He's Lord over Powder Springs, Georgia. He's Lord over Saluda, North Carolina. Some of them hadn't found out about it, but He is. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over Bethany. He's Lord over Lazarus' death. And He's going to be exalted even through delay. Notice firstly, we learn that Jesus is Lord in the present tense. Right now. How do we know that, Tom? Well, Martha heard that Jesus was coming and she ran out to Him. And in verse number 21, she said to Jesus, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. In a few minutes, we're going to see Mary, when she got to Jesus, she said the same thing. I'm not too fast. I'm not too swift in my thinking. But I figure if two people come up to me and say the same thing, they've been talking about it. They, they, they've been conversing around it. And uh, here both sisters say, this is the Hayes translation, forgive me, Lord, where have you been? We expected you here before now. Now he's dead. If thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Jesus said in verse 23 to Martha, Thy brother shall rise again. And she gave a good answer. She said, Lord, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Here it is though. Jesus said unto her, I am. That's right now. I am the resurrection and the life. The truth is Jesus is Lord in the present tense. He doesn't say I was, I will be, but He said I am. I love this part of this emphasis. He said I am the resurrection. That's enough to get Lazarus up. And the life, that's enough to keep him up. I want to tell you, the same Jesus who saves is the same Jesus who keeps and sustains His people. And so He's Lord in the present tense. I dare say in a congregation this size tonight that there's some of us either living in the past or we're living in the future. Even in the religious realm, we... We live in the past. Boy, I tell you, I remember back yonder years ago in the old building. Boy, we had some meetings. I tell you what a time we had in Zion. They're living in the past only. They Really? You can blow the walls down today and they won't say it's a good meeting. I've preached till I thought I was going to turn blue. 
And I've preached at times, as an old mountain preacher friend of mine used to say, he'd say, Tom, I preached till I thought I was going to cough up blood. And, and nobody's responded yet. And uh, I, everybody's living in the past. Oh, I tell you the good old days. I personally, if you want a path out behind the house, and, and uh, you you want a, a, a little cord to pull the light, more power to you. I like switches myself, and I like indoor bathroom facilities. That's right. I, I, I like all the blessings of right now. But hey, some aren't just living in the past in the church world. They're living in the future. Boy, when I get to heaven, I tell you, it'll be wonderful, wonderful. I can't wait till I get to heaven. Well, you're going to have to wait. But my thoughts, I heard one dear person say, Oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to shout all over the place. And I thought, why don't you go ahead and start now? They're living in the future. We used to sing that old song, Won't it be wonderful there? I'm going to tell you, it's wonderful here if you know Him. If you're walking with Him and loving Him and experiencing Jesus, it's wonderful now to be a Christian. Jesus said, Martha, honey, you're living in the past. I am the resurrection and the life. And then she jumped right out of the past into the future and said, well, I know we'll see Him again in the resurrection. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection right now. Ah, oh, I say, beloved, He's Lord in the present tense. Wouldn't it be blessed if somebody here tonight could believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life right now? I said, well, I'm hoping down the road the things will change. I'm hoping the Lord will do something in my family. I'm hoping the Lord will do something in our Sunday school class and it won't be quite as lifeless as it is. I'm, I'm hoping maybe the Lord will do something in my grandchildren. Hey, He can do it now. Now, He may be pleased to do it later, but He's Lord right now. Lord, in the present tense. Well, I didn't mean to enjoy that so much, but I did. I want you to notice, secondly, He's not only Lord in the present tense, He's Lord in the personal tense. After Martha had talked to Him, verse 28 says, And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, saying, the Master is come and calleth for thee. Now, we don't have that recorded. We just have what Martha said about it. But apparently Jesus said, Would you go get Martha? Would you go get Mary? I want to see Mary too, Martha. And so she said, Mary, he's here and he's calling for you. That's personal. He wanted to speak with Mary personally. And then notice, she said the same thing that Martha had said. When she got to him, the Bible says in verse 32, the last phrase, Lord, she said, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. I can't seem to get over the fact that Jesus has delayed. Jesus 
has not come according to their expectations. Then in verse number 43, he was not only personal in calling Mary, he was personal in calling Lazarus. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Notice it does say he cried with a loud voice. That gives me a little leverage for being so loud sometimes. Had this little girl come up to me. And she said, why do you holler so loud? I didn't say anything to her. I just patted her on the head. I knew she had heard her mama say that coming to church. Jesus hollered very loud here. Lazarus, come forth! Some have said that had he only said come forth and not Lazarus come forth, there would have been a general resurrection. But he personalized it and called Lazarus out of the grave. I want to tell you he's Lord in personal dealings. Don't, don't just say, well, he's her Lord, he's his Lord, he's their Lord. Oh, say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. He's Lord in the personal tense. Then I want you to notice quickly, verse number 44, he's Lord in the powerful tense. And he that was dead, that means he is no longer dead. He that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Lucy, and let him go. I want to underline the truth that he came out of the grave. He that was dead came forth. Now through the years, my wife and I, have talked about how Lazarus must have gotten, how he must have come out of the grave. She thinks he floated out. Well, he was bound hand and foot. He couldn't have walked up the steps. If the sepulcher, they, they take you to visit in Bethany on a Holy Land tour is the actual grave of Lazarus. It would have taken some work for a man bound hand and foot to come out of those straits, out of those close places. I don't know if he floated out or not. I'll give my wife the benefit of the doubt on that. You know, Jesus, when he came out of the grave, he was in the grave and then he was out of the grave. There was no floating. It's just a, a momentary happening. This, that could have happened here. Perhaps Lazarus is in the grave one second, the next second. He's out of the grave. I don't know how it all transpired, but he that was dead came forth. He wasn't in a swoon. It isn't that he was just unconscious and came to, but he that was dead came forth. Hallelujah. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's Lord in the present tense. He's Lord in the personal tense. He's Lord in the powerful tense. Now hold it. Do you believe 
that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Do you believe that? Sure you do. I believe that. Now listen. If Jesus, by His power, miraculous supernatural power, raised Lazarus from the dead, do you think He'll have a problem with your burden? Or with my burden? I think He can handle most of our situations rather easily. He's the Lord. And He delays not only to exhibit His love, but to exalt His Lordship. You may not understand it now, but later on, you're going to say, He's the resurrection and the life. He's the Lord. And He's done it just like He wanted to do it. And it's right and good. There's a third truth beginning in verse 44 and even going on into chapter 12 where we have Lazarus at the table with Jesus in a later visit. Christ came to Bethany and uh, they had a meal and he and Lazarus sat down at the table together. But Lazarus came forth. I've underlined that, but let me read it one more time. Verse 44, And he that was dead came forth. There's life expressed here. Not death, but life. Resurrection life. And so I want to say thirdly, Jesus delays not only to exhibit His love and to exalt His Lordship, but to express His life. Only Jesus can bring life into that that is dead. It may be a dead relationship in your in your the life of a friend. It just died. That friendship died. Only Jesus can put life back in that friendship. It it may be something that has died in relationship or in a relationship between husband and wife. And it's just died. Quicker you'll admit it, the better off you'll be. Jesus is the only one who can put life back in that husband and wife relationship. It may be between a child and your heart. Something's been said or something's been done. And it brought about a death in that relationship. It may be in your prayer life. Or in your feelings towards the church. You just had some things to die in you. I want to tell you Jesus is the only one who can put resurrection life in any of these areas. I'm glad he can, aren't you? I'm here this evening because he is the resurrection and the life. He has put life in many dead areas of my experience. And I thank you. So there's the fact of his life. He came forth. That's the only way you can explain it. In fact, think with me along these lines. Lazarus was talking several days ago, walking. He was working. And then he died. Now Jesus calls him out of the grave. Eyes which had quit seeing. Now see again. 
voice, a voice which had quit talking, now can talk again. Ears which had quit hearing, now are hearing again. Legs which have quit walking, now can walk again. Arms which had quit working, can work again now. Because Jesus has put life, infused, breathed life into Lazarus' body. What a miracle it was. The fact of his life. May I say secondly, we not only see something about the fact of his life, but the freedom of his life. He said, loose him and let him go. Now, the people were to participate in this. But it was at the command of Jesus that Lazarus was set free. Loose him and let him go. I'm, 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 I can't help but think that some of them were a little different. They had found it a little difficult to reach and grab those grave clothes and try to start getting them off. In fact... I wonder if there wasn't some wide-eyed, big-eyed Jews standing around there when Lazarus came for us all. And now Jesus says, Lucy, let him go. That's the freedom of his life expressed in Lazarus. And then come briefly to chapter 12, verse 2. After Jesus has come back to Bethany six days later, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Ah, oh, there's not only the fact of his life expressed and the freedom of his life expressed, but there's the fellowship and the feast of Christ's life expressed. Hey. Lazarus didn't come out of the grave as a spook. He was a real person. Just like the Lazarus of days gone by. Jesus brought him back from the grave. And I think this is interesting. Look at verse number 10 and 11 of chapter 12. He just got out of the grave uh, uh, less than a week ago. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Good night. He just got out of the grave. They want to put him back. Why? Verse 11. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Ah, brother, he exhibits his love. He exalts his lordship. He expresses his life. Even in the delays that he brings into our Christian experience. Now, I, I no longer grow a garden. My girls are interested in that this year and they're working on it. But I quit growing a garden many years ago. I, about the time squash was ready to come in, I'd be in Texas. Or, uh, Tomatoes, the birds would end up pecking them to death before I got back. And so I quit growing a garden. Now, I just go from church to church through the summer looking pitiful and saying to everybody, how's your corn? Your tomatoes doing alright? 
If you have a good crop of okra this year, I just hint, 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 and leave a section in the back of my trunk for those who take the hint. But some of you who have grown a garden through the years, you know you don't grow it one day and reap it the next. It takes time. It takes time. That corn comes up. Then the weeds come up. You have to hoe it, clean it out. Then eventually it tassels or tassels according to where you're from. And eventually ears of corn grow on that stalk. But it takes time. It takes time. You have to wait. Now my wife's, in fact today my wife and I had some fried green tomatoes for lunch. It's hard to wait on those tomatoes, man. I want them to ripen. I like those tomato sandwiches with some mayonnaise pretty thick. But uh, uh, I, I, I can, I, if, I, if I get a little antsy, let's fry some of them. Let's eat some fried green tomatoes. But you got to wait. I want to tell you, beloved, so it is in the spiritual realm. Jesus is working the garden of our lives. And it takes time. Sometimes we think it ought to be done at certain times, but He waits to be gracious. He delays to show Himself most glorious in our lives. My encouragement to you tonight as believers, wait on the Lord. Keep on praying. Keep on trusting. And keep on waiting. For in due season, there will be some reaping if we faint not. The ministry of delay. You've been so kind. Would you stand with me? Please, your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed.